the hose of life. Sometimes it gets kinked. Sometimes it prevents the flow of the Holy Spirit flowing through us. And one of those areas that sometimes gets clogged up is an area of clutter, things, possessions, and finances. So I'm here to talk about our money. Thank you for not leaving. You have uh, this. You should have received one of these a couple of weeks ago. And if you didn't receive one this morning, there are some in the back there. We'd love to make them available. One of the things we often will do is to have a sentence series that goes through, for example, in the past, I've been on discipleship. This happens to be on the topic of simplify. We've put together a journal like this that covers the entire month of the five Sundays of January. We talked about simplifying in terms of our Sabbath rest. And a lot of good feedback on that because it felt good, like, yes, give me, give me peace and freedom to rest and to not have to work seven days a week and feel this constant uh, burden. And then last week we saw the simplify in terms of our time. So we want to shrink down those, uh, those areas of stress that causes our time to be exhausted. And we feel good about finding freedom to slow down in our time. And then it was my assignment to talk about your money. And so that becomes a lot more stressful for us. And so uh, the Sabbath rest and the time, I hope that you're all rested now so we can learn about simplifying in terms of our finances and our possessions. And we're going to be on page 10. You can follow along there. The notes that are there, some of the items that Michael just talked about in terms of next steps are there on the page 11. And then there are the journal opportunities that... uh, each, there's five steps of journaling that follow the five steps that I have there that allows us to interact with it in our own personal way because I'm not here to do that for you. I'm here to lead us to the point where hopefully God can do that through each of us as well. Now, as we take a look at this, here's an image that perhaps you have seen. You might recognize this guy, Ethan, I think is his name. Uh, he is the man, uh, the young man that was arrested because he was a drunk driver and he killed four other people as he drove. Well, his lawyer came up with this fantastic defense called affluenza, affluenza. He was so spoiled by his parents and was given so many things and possessions that his whole life was completely torn and distorted upside down, and that's the reason he drunk, drove, and killed four people. And he got off in some sort of a crazy probation. Affluenza. What is affluenza? It may be that there are finances that are corrosive in our lives as well. In fact, the number one problem in marriages is money. And so, yes, affluenza can corrode the relationships that we have with ourselves and with the Lord. Here's affluenza. It is the bloated, sluggish, and unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. And no offense if your name is Jones here this morning. We all want to be like you. It's an epidemic of stress, overwork, waste, and indebtedness caused by the dogged pursuit of the American dream. Thirdly, it's an unsustainable addiction to economic growth. And affluenza, probably in Orange County, is a place where that could be something that we are constantly battling. And uh, I remember when we used to live in livable, lovable Lodi and That was a long time ago, and Dave, you're still talking about it? Yes. (laughs) And it was interesting, when we moved from Lodi to Orange County, and we used to live in Corona. We lived for 10 years in Corona. Of course, I know that's Riverside County, but it was close. We could drive into South Coast Plaza. But I remember when we came back from Lodi, 
Lodi is surrounded by vineyards and farmers. And when we came back to Orange County, I, I felt like every other car was a BMW or a Mercedes. Up there, every other car was a Ford or a Chevy truck. And there was a sense of rush and busyness on the freeways. And it would take you 10 minutes to get from one side of town to the other side in Lodi. It takes me 10 minutes just to get onto the freeway from my house, which is one mile away. It's just the change was significant. And the sense that we need to understand how God wants to sometimes help us to simplify. Now, my goal are not these things. It is not to create guilt, shame, or coercion in learning. I'm not going to, that's not my goal. If I, if I cause that to happen, then I have failed. It is not to make you feel like you have too much or too little. Because some of us have millions and some of us have hundreds. And the challenge is not to sort of balance that out. My goal this morning is simply to simplify, to find freedom and peace. That is from managing well the provisions that God has entrusted to each of us, wherever we happen to be. And the journey is this. Simplifies, you learned last week. The opposite of simplify is not complexity. There are some of us in this room have very complex financial structures. And you have to pay an accountant thousands and thousands of dollars to help you manage well and pay your taxes. There are others of us in this room that have a very simplified tax plan. If we can go to TurboTax and just a few quick buttons and we have a simplified version of that. So the opposite of simplify is not, not complexity, that we want you, everybody to be simple in their financial structure. The opposite of simplicity is chaos, clutter, and confusion. We want to eliminate that. I don't want us to live in that realm. I don't want to live that way. So here are five ways to help get over that. And the first is all about heart and attitude. It's living in this trusting of God, that God is the one who owns it all. We're merely borrowing it from Him. I need to trust God and live that way. Now, let me take you all the way back into the Old Testament. If you'd like to read in your Bibles, or there's a Bible in the chair rack in front of you, the fifth book in the Bible is the book of Deuteronomy. This is one of the books that Moses wrote. Deuteronomy is sort of the, the, the constitution of the nation of Israel. And it's amazing what God said through Moses to the Israelites when they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're not in the Israel yet. They're wandering in the wilderness. And as God was preparing them to go there and establish their first legit home, this is what he said to them. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11, let me read through some of this. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances and his statutes which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you have eaten and are satisfied and you've built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply... And your silver and your gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies. God knew they're going to be financially prosperous. He wasn't putting down prosperity in terms of possessions and funds and homes. He says, you're going to get that. It's not a promise, but it's God says, I'm going, and you're going to have that. So he says, when you have all that, and, and then in verse 13, when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and gold multiply... And all that you have multiplies. 
And then he says this, Then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God's warning to us is that when your homes multiply, your money multiplies, your possessions multiply, your herds and your flocks multiply, the danger is, Israelites, Calvaryites, your heart will become proud and you will forget your God who brought you out of sin into salvation. For them is out of Egypt into the promised land. For us it's out of sin and into Christ and his church. Then he goes on and says, He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground. And when there was no water, he brought water for you out of the flint of the rock, out of the rock of the flint. And that's what he did. He did a miracle. And in the wilderness, he fed you manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and strength of my hand made me this wealth. Otherwise, you may say, your own ability caused you to acquire this wealth. God says, no. Then he says in verse 18, but you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who has given you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant which he swore to his fathers as it is this day. It is God, he's clarifying, it is God who has given them the power, this one verse, but you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he who has given you the power to have wealth. If there is ever a point that you need to take home with you today is that it is God that you trust because it's God who gives us the capacity to have whatever we have. And so he warns the Israelites, and through them, he warns you and me. We're not the Israelites. We're not going to the promised land. But God gave us the Old Testament as illustrations of how he chooses to work today. And if there's one thing we need to have in our hearts and our minds, God is the one that gives me the power to have wealth. Some have great, some have small. Doesn't matter. Trust God. He's the one who would do that. I think back and he, he sort of, he goes back in verses 15 and 16. Here, here are some of the things God did. I think about my own personal life. When Joy and I got married, and, and I've referenced this, we moved to Dallas where I was in seminary, and she became a school teacher at Trinity Christian Academy, and she makes $6,000 a year. And the leadership and the administration of Trinity Christian Academy gave us tips and techniques on how to get food stamps and welfare assistance because they knew that nobody could live on $6,000 a year. And we had an apartment that we paid $95.90 a month to live in. And we had one car, and it was a Vega. So... I'm not even sure it counted. They don't make them anymore. And then when we moved to Corona for our first uh, home, we thought, well, we'll be renting. And a faithful and generous and godly man in our church in Corona said, I have a rental property, 
and I want to sell it to you at a highly discounted rate so that I can get you into a home. We paid $40,000 for that home. $40,000. Remember those days? And then we had the Vega, but we had to trade cars because only one of us could drive the Vega and get anywhere. So we had another family in our church that says, we've got a car sitting in our driveway that we never use. We want to give it to you. So they gave us their car. It was a Datsun 510. <laughs> I love that car. I drove that for 10 years in Corona. And when we moved, I gave it away. It was wonderful. And just think back, those time after time, these little things where God said, Dave, I will take care of you. And yet, even as I look into the future, I still have a hard time believing, but okay, you did it then, will you do it 10 years from now? You understand that? Even as much as God fulfilled his commitment to me, I still look like the Israelites, but God, where's the food going to come from? Where's the water going to come from? Well, I'd like for you to think about that. Just would you discuss with people around you, how has God blessed your life and already provided for your needs? I just gave you a little glimpse of our life. And how can that help you as you look to the future? So let's take a couple of minutes. Would you talk to the people around you? If you don't know their names, give your name. Don't assume everything. And then just talk. How has God already provided for your needs? We want to continue to focus here. You can't, uh, we don't have enough time to give the entire resume of our lives, but uh, isn't it good to remind ourselves that God has been faithful to us, that we can trust God, and that many of us in this room, as I look around this room, Many of this room have had many years, right, 
for God to prove himself to us. And there are some of you that don't have as many years as some of us. But as you look back, and that's what God does all the time. Psalm 78, God looks back and says, man, I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Why don't you trust me today? And so God wants to constantly remind us to trust him. He gives us the power to have wealth. Please believe that. Secondly, in order to simplify, then I need to learn how to be content. I don't need to seek to have more things. I just need to be content now. And this is, this is the challenge because every time you watch TV or read the paper or find things on the Internet, there are ads bombarding us, telling us that we shouldn't be content because until we buy this or do that, travel there, you're always going to be inadequate because there's always more for you to gain. I love this quote, Mark Cuban. This last week, one and a half billion dollars in the Powerball. How many of you lost money this week? <laughs> All right, thank you for your honesty. If you weren't happy yesterday, you won't be happy tomorrow. It's money, it's not happiness. And even as I quote Mark Cuban, owns the Dallas Mavericks, this guy's a billionaire. And I said, well, easy for you to say, Mark Cuban, you're already a billionaire. What about the rest of us? And yet there's a lot of truth to that that money doesn't buy you happiness. We hear that. So it's learning how to be content. Let me show you the challenge of being content. I want to take you into Ecclesiastes, one of that great Old Testament books, sort of right in the middle of your Bible. If you can see my Bible, it's right there in the middle if you'd like to turn to it. In Ecclesiastes 2, it's written by Solomon. Solomon was one of the wisest and richest men that has ever lived in the history of the world. He asked God for wisdom, not for wealth, and God gave him both. In Ecclesiastes 2, here is Solomon talking about his life. He says in verse 3, I explored with my mind how to stimulate my body with wine while my mind was guiding me wisely, and how to take hold of folly until I could see what good is there for the sons of men to do under heaven for the few years of their lives. And here is what Solomon did. He did the opposite of simplify. He added clutter to his life. He says, I enlarged my works. I built houses for myself. One house isn't good enough. I need many houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself. I planted them all kinds of fruit trees. So here, Solomon's got many houses, he's got many parks, he's got all these fruit trees. Well, when you have many houses, many parks, and many fruit trees, what do you need? You need water. So he says, okay, I, now I've got to make ponds of water for myself from which to irrigate a forest of growing trees. So now he's got many houses, many parks, many fruit trees, and he's got ponds of water. Well, who's going to take care of all that? So he has to purchase and buy male. It says in verse 7, So I bought male and female slaves, that I, and I had home-born slaves. So now I've got people to manage the things that I 
take care of the water and the fruit trees. Well, someone's got to feed the people that now I've hired that take care of the fruit trees and the parks and the houses. So I said, I possess flocks and herds larger than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. So now I'm feeding these hundreds, if not thousands of people who take care of my parks and my fruit trees and my houses. And so because I have to feed all of them, buy all this food, buy these slaves, verse 8, so I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasures of kings and provinces because somebody's got to pay for all this stuff. So I, now I need to acquire more finances to fund the f- slaves, the male, the female that take care of the fruit trees, the houses, the pond. And now I've got all these people and they're bored. So I provided for myself male and female singers and the pleasures of men, many concubines. Somebody's got to make sure that they're happy. So now I've got to pay for entertainment for them. And then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood by me. And all that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. And this was my reward for all my labor. And then after he has acquired all these things, he then concludes in verse 11. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity, striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. I was the most wealthy man in the world, and it didn't bring me happiness or satisfaction. If you turn over to Ecclesiastes 5.10, I love the way he concludes this. He who loves money will never be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income this too is vanity. He was the Mark Cuban of the day. He who loves money never has enough. You lack contentment. It is so easy for us to begin to acquire and to accrue all these things, and then we realize all I have is more of a complex life, a more cluttered life, and I don't find any more satisfaction in life. Before you buy, here are some questions to ask and answer. I should have put them in the journal. And frankly, most of us are smart enough to come up with these on our own, probably. Do I really need it? Can I afford it? Could I borrow it? I maintain if you want a cabin in Big Bear, go get a friend who's got a cabin in Big Bear. (laughs) If you want a boat to go out into the Newport Harbor, get a friend that has a boat. Use theirs. Why should all of us have to have those things when you have friends who have those things? You ask the question, how long will it last? What will it cost me over its lifetime? 20 years ago, we bought the home we live in now. We wanted a home with a three-car garage and a swimming pool. I wished I had asked myself that question then. (laughs) How much will it cost me over a lifetime? I regret... Every time I clean that pool and put chlorine and go to Leslie's and buy more chlorine and buy a new filter and buy a new pump, and I've had three pumps in that pool, and I look at it and I said, it's just sucking me dry. How much will it cost me over a lifetime? And I've told you before, and no one's taken up on me yet, I'll give it to you free of charge if you just come and get it. I could water your garden for a year with that pool. 
And then how many hours? So these are basic questions to ask to make sure I live in a contented way. Because one of the things that happens that I'm not content, I acquire debt. Eliminate debt. Trust God. Be content. Don't look for more things. And eliminate debt. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. God says, I am a slave to those that I borrow from. God said that. And I don't want to live in slavery. I remember when I first came to Calvary Church 20 years ago, Bill Booker sent me down. Many of you remember good old Bill Booker. We loved him and his family still here at Calvary. Bill's with the Lord now. Bill was sort of our Michael Wells at the time, the finance guy. And Bill sat me down and says, Dave, there's one thing you need to understand. We have had a $10 million debt on building this building we're in right now. And I want you to understand something. That the first bill we ever pay every month is to pay the bonds on that debt. If we have anything left over, we'll give you a paycheck. But if we don't, that debt gets paid first. So Bill, Bill let me know. Okay, that debt's paid first. I get it. I'm, in, I'm second and third in line. That debt continued to dominate our agenda, our budget, until one individual came along, and I sat there in the room with him. And I watched him write out a check that was over a half a million dollars and got rid of that debt. And it was like there was this new sense of freedom that God put it on this person's heart to liberate the debt because we were a slave to it. And we wanted to be honorable and take care of that debt. Every time you borrow money, you're robbing your future self. If I can't afford it today, why do I think I can afford it in 10 years? We need to simplify our possessions and finances because it begins to offer us new margin. Now, I brought some things with me today because debt is financial, but debt is also clutter. I've got, I am the clutter king. I brought some of my clutter here for you because I want to give it away. I want to clutter your house. I don't want to be cluttered anymore. I've had this ooga horn for, I don't know, the last 30 or 40 years. And it's just been sitting, I'd look for my shelves, it's been sitting on my shelf for the last 20 years. I haven't looked at it until yesterday when I started pulling it out. And I forgot about it. If you wanted an ooga horn, it's yours. You can have it. I've got some other things here. Clutter. Somebody gave me an Osama bin Laden mask. I don't know if that was like a subtle hint. I don't know. But it's been sitting in my office for the last 15 years. For 15 years, I'm looking at this thing. And I'm thinking, why? I don't know. I've got some videotapes. I've had these in my office for 15 years. George Barna, Ministering to the Family. George Barna, The Habits of Highly Effective Churches. I should, I should look at that. <laughs> Developing Leaders for Ministry. Videotapes. I don't have a video recorder. But if you have a video recorder, this will change your life. George Barna is a good guy. And there's even some cassette tapes. I don't have a cassette player anymore, but if you do, 
right here, it's all for you. Motorcycle helmets. I had a bunch. Anybody want a motorcycle helmet? You shouldn't ride motorcycles. They're death machines. How dare you? No one should have them. We should ban them. We should have new regulations. But if you're one of those death machine riders like me, I'm a death machine. I have a motorcycle. Motorcycle helmets just for you. I've, I don't know why I have them. And we got other things. I got to move along. I've got a, I've got a sprayer and there's a little bit of, uh, there's a little bit of Roundup in there. You can have it. Here's a Sears toolbox. I've got three of them. I don't need three of them. There's, there's tools in there. It's yours. I've had this box of a mowing. Bought this from Costco like 10 years ago. Put it in my sink in the kitchen. And I thought, well, I better save the box in case I have to take it back to Costco. So it's just an empty box. Sitting in my garage for 10 years. What's wrong with me? I've got other battery-powered drills. It works. I'm giving it away. I don't need it. How many battery drills do you really need? Sears, die hard, 14 volt. Oh, no, 19 volt. 19 volt. Are you kidding me? But there's no warranty. And then I was roaming through my bathroom, and I'd forgotten all about this until just this last week. I don't know, it was like, what, 15 years ago we did this thing on missions and they made this sign and 15 years, I don't know, 15, how many years do you keep something like this? I'd be willing to give this to somebody if you hang it in your living room. So I'm just pointing out, and these are just samples. I could, I could take all day today showing you all the clutter of my life. Eliminate it. So I have been convicted I'm getting rid of stuff. I'm just giving it away. I could do the Craigslist. I don't, want, I don't need the hassle. I don't need the money. I'm just going to give it away. So you need to be generous. Trust God. Be content. Eliminate debt. And I've got steps in there for you to think about on all these points. But be generous. Give things away to the Lord's work. Aim for 10%. Aim for 10%. Notice what Matthew says, Matthew 6. This is Jesus. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Many of us know this so well. It sort of rolls off and we don't really think about it anymore. But I says, God says, man, your treasure and your heart goes together. You want, you want to find out what you're committed to? Look at your checkbook. Look at your bank balance. That's what you're committed to. And so God says, I want you to understand that things go away if you don't take care of them. I have here two, I have a bunch of old suits that have been sitting in our closets. This is one of them. I used to have my suits made in Hong Kong. We meet a guy uh, in uh, a hotel room, and he have a spread of cloths, material, I should say. We choose our material, each size us up and measure. 
This is a suit that I've had, and my name is inside that Joy took out, but there's still another name. It's called Modesto, and we looked, and I've had this suit since 1986. <laughs> 1986, I've been sitting in our closet. Why? I don't know. Because when I put it on, yeah, it's just a, a little snug. I kept on thinking someday, you know, Kaiser's told me I'm obese. I'm obese. And I thought, as soon as I lose weight, I'll wear this thing again. It's not bad. I thought I could wear it at Kirstie's wedding, but it didn't seem appropriate at the time. And it's interesting. Joy pointed this out. As I look around it, right here, you can't see it. The moths have eaten this thing. It's moth-eaten. And I was keeping it just in case. You never know. You never know when you need a nice suit coat. And the moths have eaten it. And Joy pointed out, you know what Jesus said? Don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Why do we do these things? What's wrong with me that I don't have God's priorities and I hang on to things? Be generous. If you'd like this, you may have it. If you're not obese like me, it may fit you. But you've got to do something about the moths. God wants us to be generous and give things away. Proverbs says this, By giving things away, you remove their desire. There is one who scatters and yet increases all the more, and there is one who withholds what is justly due, and yet it results only in want. When I don't give to God, it results in more want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I love this quote, Epictetus. Wealth consists not in having great possessions, but in having few wants. Give them away. They take, it takes the power of those things from us. I love Malachi. Why 10%? Why 10%? Malachi says this. Bring the whole tithe or 10%, he says to the Israelites. Bring 10% into the storehouse. So there may be food in my house and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Test me in this. You may not be giving 10%. You look at that and say, whoa, that's a long ways away from where I'm at today. And I say, well, then take it a step at a time. How much money do you make each year? How much of that goes to God's work? If you're at 1%, then in 2016, aim for 2. Then aim for 3. And keep going till you hit the tithe and let God be tested in this. In this last year, I challenged us that in the month of December, why don't you give twice as much as any other month because that would get us to even. And Joy and I, we, we try to stay faithful all the way up. We don't wait till December and sort of surprise the church as to, oh, yeah, we've been meaning to give that. We try to do it all throughout the year. So we were pretty well caught up. In fact, we gave more this year than we gave last year. And so I thought, well, you know, I, I don't really, 
I told the church to do that, but I don't really need to do that because we're already caught up. Now, I was sitting in my office here on December the 30th, and God spoke to me. He says, Dave, no, you do it too. So I did a little online giving. And I gave, I won't tell you how much, because numbers sometimes throws people off. But I gave another nice, significant gift to the church. You know what happened? And I'm not telling you this so that you can somehow have a greed motivation because I didn't do it out of greed and I don't want anybody else to do it out of greed. But I made that extra gift because I felt the Lord speak into my heart to do that. And then I got a, I got a check in the mail from an investment that we've had for years and I wasn't even thinking about it at all. And that check that came the next day was for twice as much is that year-end gift that I gave to the church. And it was almost like God says, Dave, won't you trust me? Don't you believe what you preach? And sometimes I say, Lord, you know, sometimes I don't believe what I preach, but I think it's the right thing to say. Oh, Lord, help me, my lack of faith. And I want you to test God too. I want you to know the joy of God blessing in ways that you never thought he would do like the Israelites in the Old Testament in the wilderness, and rocks produced water, and heaven produced manna. Let God bless you by simplifying. And it begins by trusting God. Here's a little video. One of our own, John Sherman, pastor here at Calvary Church, learning how to trust God as God simplifies his life. Take a look. And so I told the Lord early on, I said, if you will allow my wife and I to have a home, uh, we will make sure it remains yours. And so we had the opportunity through some miracles to buy a house. We began to pray and I investigated that verse, Philippians 4.19. And that verse talks about that God promises to supply my needs. It doesn't say my wants. As we began to pray and look, I ran across my dream house in Santa Ana, an old house that now is 130 years old and we've been here 35 years and it was just a miraculous story how the Lord opened that up for us. We ultimately move here to the house, our children come along, we're blessed with four children who love the Lord and it's been the perfect house for our family and ministry over the years. In 2008 our family every three years has a tradition that we go to Cannon Beach and it's a chance for our family members to come to hear God's word, to have fellowship. It's a wonderful uh, tradition we have. And at that uh, particular retreat, a, a speaker was speaking and God spoke to me about, John, it's time to simplify. Uh, if you know me, I have uh, the ability to collect. It's a spiritual gift, can't find the verse, but I have the gift. And yet I recognize that uh, the time had come to begin to um, simplify my life and so I, I had no doubt and I began immediately to do that uh, again I have to do it my way and as I prayed for what God would have me to do I was making clear progress but in 2009 it was Sunday night February 15th uh, I get ready to go to church I have a daughter who's a school teacher she says dad start me a fire while I'm grading papers so I start the fire and I leave the house when I actually get to the church on Sunday night service I get a, a note John call home there's an emergency and uh, I said what was it and they said your house is on fire so we left the Sunday night service and came home and to our shock we found 15 fire trucks and 52 firemen fighting a valiant fire at our house my wife and I spent uh, six hours across the street just watching 
And uh, as we watched, uh, we just had thousands of mental pictures coming through our house. But to our surprise, we're standing here watching the house burning, saying, what is God doing? We never doubted for one minute that the house belonged to the Lord. We never doubted the fact that he had something miraculous again to do in our life. As we began to pick up the pieces after the fire, um, my family in different ways shared with me, uh, Dad, we think God is thrilled with the fact that you're simplifying your life. But we think in retrospect, now that the house has, has burned down, that possibly you weren't moving fast enough. And so we've laughed about that because we think God has a great sense of humor. Once the fire was over, and as we began to pray, where in the world do we go? And as we look back at Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it reminds us again that if we don't know where we're going, He will direct our steps. And He did in a remarkable way. That as we trusted Him, and we spoke about Him on a regular basis with whoever we talked about, and thank God for the house we'd had, and for the future house He might choose to give us again, we were just shocked at the opportunities we had to share Christ. Not only with um, people involved in the rebuilding process, but our neighbors. Uh, many people have watched and observed us. We've been here 35 years, and uh, we've had countless opportunities to share Christ with them. And when it's all said and done, uh, nobody wants to go through a difficult time. But when you can look back and see that God used that, um, He has a right to do anything in my life, whether it's my house or with my family, and we thank God for what He has done. All right, appreciate their testimony. John and Leslie. I was there that night, that fire was burning, as were many of you, as we watched there, we just couldn't believe it. But thankfully, their family was all safe, and it's like a two-year journey to rebuild, and that whole outside porch is an add-on, and so God provided for them. But I just blessed by that, and the lesson that I learned that if I don't simplify, God will burn down my house. And so, that's why I'm trying to get rid of this stuff. Trusting God is the key. Trusting God is where it all begins. And I'd like for us to spend just a couple of moments looking at the journal. I have these journal points on here that takes each point on the left side of page 10, then 11 and 12. What possessions do you have that you never give up? Evaluate your house. The third one is a great one. How does debt impact your life? How can you begin to move out of debt if you have indebtedness and so forth? We just spend a few moments working through the journal, thinking through, God, what would you have me to do in response? so that we can live a simplified life. Not here to make anybody guilty, not here to make anybody shamed, but simply to understand, God, how would you work in my life today in these areas? So let's spend some time thinking about it.
about 30 seconds and we'll pray. Let me pray for us. We like to receive our offering and we just simply want people to do as God leads each of us in our hearts to do. We're here to challenge ourselves in a church where we are challenged by what God says. I'm challenged by this. I have to preach it. I've got to therefore live by it. And I encourage us to live by those things that God says. We're here to honor Him. So I thank you for your, your submission, your obedience, and your reflection on what God would say to us. Let me pray as we receive our offering. Help us, Father, as we want to live out your word. That's why we're here. There's many other places and many other things we could be doing. But God, thank you that there are, I know that there are so many in our church who already get this. They live it. And I thank you for them. And Lord, for others of us who perhaps need to grow a little bit, we pray, God, put it on our hearts. How can we grow in these areas? So we can find the freedom and the joy of living for you and knowing you own it all. And God, we're so blessed because you have given to us the power to have any wealth at all. Lord, now we give to you in response, not out of guilt, not out of shame, not out of coercion, but simply, Lord, let us give to you out of a joy of being part of your work, being generous of heart and mind, we give now in Jesus' name. Amen.